come on back if you would. And if you have a Bible with you, you can turn to John chapter 15. Bible or Bible app, please find the Gospel of John chapter 15. We're going to take today and next week to focus on a famous allegory of Jesus's, and here's why. As elders, we began our annual planning process devoting an entire meeting to dependence. We wanted to begin by saying, Lord, we need you. And as part of that time, we reflected on and prayed through this passage. And I believe God ministered to us, and we thought he might minister to you as well. So let's pray to that end, and then Mindy will read our passage. Spirit of God, we do, we ask you to fill us and use your word in our hearts and minds right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. This is the word of the Lord from John 15. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Thank you, Mindy. CNN headline last week, quote, the evangelical church faces a state of emergency over the pandemic and politics. A state of emergency due to political polarization in the culture, polarizing the church, and COVID controversies, mask or no mask, or how you relate to government regulations, causing, it says, a state of emergency. At a minimum, we have what missiologist Ed Stetzer has called the great sort. The great sort. Believers in Jesus sorting themselves according to political preference and pandemic-related convictions. It's been a difficult season as a result for many churches. One church network asked all their churches, how are you doing? Number one answer, we're grateful we're still here. We're just grateful we're still here. I had a phone call with a leader in a national denomination 
recently who said among the churches he interacts with, many are about half the size they were prior to COVID. And for us, we live in the least affordable city in California. United States. Thank you, Dave. L.A. and San Francisco are more expensive, but their salaries there have better kept pace with the cost of living. So San Diego is now the least affordable city, apparently, in the country. Congratulations. Aren't you glad? As a result, we've seen quite a few beloved friends relocate for understandable reasons. And we will miss you and we bless you, Drew and Christian. So let's be honest. Let's be honest with ourselves. It's been a challenging few years for many churches, including our own. How are you doing with that? How are you doing with that? How are you processing all of that? As we've heard from a number of you, it's hard, and we get that. So, how might God meet us? In particular, how might God want to meet us to give us faith for being fruitful in his purposes? That's what we want, right? To be faithful and then fruitful in his purposes. How might God make us fruitful in his purposes and give us faith for that? How might he make us fruitful single adults and fruitful married couples and fruitful parents and fruitful teenagers and fruitful kids and a fruitful body together as a church? How? How might God impart faith to your heart be fruitful in his purposes. In this passage, we find three answers. Three realities that should build our faith for being fruitful in God's purposes. Three faith-building realities. Here's faith-building reality number one. The Father purposefully prunes. The Father purposefully purposefully prunes. We are here in what's called the farewell discourse of Jesus. He is saying goodbye to his disciples prior to being arrested and crucified for our sins. In chapter 14, he comforts his disciples. Now, in chapter 15, verse 1, look there, please. He says, I am the true vine. This is his seventh and last I am statement in the Gospel of John. The background for this one is Old Testament Israel as God's vineyard, like in Isaiah chapter 5. But in that passage, God's vineyard produces sour grapes. Now, by contrast, by contrast, Jesus says, I am the true vine, the genuine vine, fulfilling what Israel was to be, bearing the fruit God desires. And notice how. I am, he says, the true vine, and, and my father is the vine dresser, the, the gardener. 
who tends to the vine in two ways in verse 2. Verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So first, first the Father removes all fruitless branches. Did you see that? He takes them away, in fact, to judgment in verse 6. Now, in this particular allegory, that seems especially to have in mind people with some association with Jesus, some familiarity to Jesus, but not real faith. In context, a prime example would be Judas Iscariot, who's about to betray Jesus. So, so youth, kids, catch this. It's possible to be associated with Jesus, familiar with Jesus, but not have a real faith in Jesus. It's possible to grow up in the church and not be a fruit-bearing branch of the true vine. It's possible. So you must know, are you real? Are you a fruit-bearing branch? I plead with you because I care about you. Make sure you're a fruit-bearing branch. And if you're a guest here, look, thank you for coming. You need to know the same. Everything turns on bearing fruit in this passage. So what is this fruit? Well, you could sum up the fruit by looking down to verse 8. Look down to verse 8. It reads, quote, by this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, there it is again, and, notice, and so prove, show, prove to be my disciples. So the fruit is what glorifies the Father and shows that we belong to the Son. That's the fruit in summation. The fruit glorifies the Father and demonstrates genuine discipleship. Take for instance, don't literally take it from me, a $20 bill. This is a genuine $20 bill. And there are various ways you can know that this is a genuine $20 bill. It has that unique paper, right? It has this certain color ink. It has intricate lettering and a specific watermark. That's how this bill shows that it is genuine. The fruit in this passage is all the ways we show that we're genuine. The new desires, the new attitudes, the new behavior, the, the love for God and his people, the joy, peace, patience, and kindness you bear, those are the distinct paper the unique ink color, the, the watermark of following Jesus in your life. It's how you demonstrate that you're genuine. That's the fruit. Now, will you display all of that fruit perfectly? No. Do we grow in that fruit incrementally, a little bit at a time, over an entire lifetime? Yes. But that's the fruit. We must be a fruit-bearing branch. And then the second thing, the second thing the Father does in verse 2, notice again, and every branch that does bear fruit, he does what? 
he prunes, do you see why? That it may bear more fruit. The father prunes with a good, loving purpose. More fruit. A little snip here. A little snip there. Why? More fruit that glorifies him. More fruit that show that we belong to Jesus. This should fuel our faith for being fruitful. The Father has his purpose. If something is inhibiting further growth in our lives, inhibiting some of the fruitfulness he wants to bear, the Father will, in his love, prune. He uses trials. He uses difficulties, hard circumstances. You could read James chapter 1, 1 Peter 1, Hebrews 12. But, but you know, everything in the Father's hands can serve as some kind of pruning shears. Romans chapter 8 says, God works all things for your good, conforming you to the image of his Son. So this pruning, friends, it has a purpose. It's kind of like kind of like going to the gym or the YMCA. And if you work out hard enough, it hurts, doesn't it? There is pain in doing sit-ups. There is pain in doing crunches. It doesn't feel good, but it has a purpose. You do it because you know it has a helpful, good purpose, strengthening your core muscles. This pruning, it's God's gymnasium. It's God's workout plan for his people. It may hurt sometimes a bit, but it has a very good and loving purpose. The Father is a very wise gardener. You know that? And he, he knows exactly what he's doing. He's very skillful at it. He knows exactly what to snip and when and, and how. So trust him. Trust his purpose as he's pruning. Trust him. Trust the Father's good, loving, pruning purpose. He is at work in your life to bear more fruit. Trust him. Where, friends, is that for you? Where do you need to trust him like that right now? It might be with your finances. When inflation's at a 40-year high, you live in the least affordable city, apparently in the whole United States. Trust his loving hand that is pruning you. Or single adults, maybe it's when a relationship right now is hard. Or a relationship you want isn't happening. Or biblical sexuality is hard. Trust his loving, pruning hand. He has a good purpose. Or married couples, it's when there's a challenge in the marriage, an ongoing difficulty. Trust him there. God is pruning with his purpose. More fruit. Parents, it's when discipling your children is hard. Or maybe a child goes astray and realize the father's pruning in your own soul because he loves you. More fruit. Youth, it's when you experience rejection or hostility for following Jesus. 
look, wherever that area is for you, trust him. Trust him, as Richard Phillips describes, saying, quote, we should lift our faces to the Lord. This is trust. We should lift our faces to the Lord and ask him to do his work in our life that we might bear the fruit he desires. I think that's a helpful way to sum up trust. Lift your face to him. Ask him to do his work and that you might bear the fruit he desires. Let's make a little corporate application as well because by extension, by extension, this is also how we will be a fruitful community. Past few years have been challenging. I know God is getting at my heart as well. Our sermon series in Ecclesiastes has been some of his pruning shears, I have to be honest with you. The refrain of vanity, challenging where I'm finding meaning and purpose. The rebuke of not chasing the wind, challenging me for how I might define, quote unquote, success. And this passage this passage showing me that what really matters, friends, is bearing fruit to the Father's glory. That's what he's after in Grace Church. Fruit that shows we belong to Jesus. He doesn't care how many cars are in the parking lot. He's after fruit that shows we belong to his Son. And as I look around here, I see a lot of fruit. I see people serving in new ways, stepping up in children's ministry, on the hospitality team, on the sound team. Thank you. I see a good neighbor team forming to reach out to Afghan refugees in La Mesa. Thank you. I saw yesterday a room full of young parents wanting to be equipped to better make disciples in their home. Thank you. I know today a group of ladies from different seasons of life will rejoice in the grace of God together. Thank you. I see all around me sincere love and unity, key pieces of fruit. Thank you. God, friends, is at work in Grace Church with this good, loving purpose, causing us to bear more fruit. Let us lift our faces and ask him to do his work that we might bear fruit all the more. The father purposefully prunes and he carries out this purpose. He carries out this purpose in his son. So fruit bearing reality number two. The son's effective, I'm sorry, I should know this, right? The son effectively empowers. That's what I'm trying to say. The son, the son of God, effectively empowers. The father purposefully prunes. The son effectively empowers. Verse 3. Verse 3. Already, he says, you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. So here's the gospel. Here's grace. Believing Jesus and his promises, making us clean before him. Then Jesus says, verse 4, abide in me 
and I in you. Now, that's an imperative. That's a command. Abide, he says. Remain, reside in me. But notice the mutuality. Abide in me and, what does it say? I in you. It speaks to how the believer is spiritually united to Jesus by the Holy Spirit. Spiritually joined to the risen Christ. And in that spiritual union, he says, abide in me. What does that mean? One commentator says it is, quote, continuing in fellowship with him and loyalty to him. Continuing in fellowship with Jesus and loyalty to Jesus. Another commentator says it is the, quote, active cultivation of a living spiritual relationship to Christ. I think that's helpful. The active cultivation of a living spiritual relationship to Christ. That's what it means to abide. And then we want to know how. But first Jesus tells us why. Verse 4. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Literally, he's saying, the branch cannot bring forth fruit from itself. We have no innate spiritual power for this fruit from ourselves. If we miss the point, he says it again in verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit for, notice, for, apart from me, you can do nothing. Literally, you're not able to do anything. Yes, you can do lots of things. But in terms of spiritual fruit, in terms of your spiritual life with Christ and bearing this fruit, you can't produce it on your own. Jesus is saying, you're not a cell phone. You're not a cell phone. Which has a rechargeable battery. So every night, I plug it in. And overnight, it recharges. And now it's working just fine, unplugged. Unplugged all day long. It works just great. You are not like that. You are not a soul with a rechargeable battery that runs on its own. You are like an electric appliance. Your favorite blender. Or maybe better, a, a light, an electric lamp that must remain plugged into the electrical socket so that it keeps lighting up. Jesus is calling us to stay plugged into him, friends, to bear fruit. You see, he makes our dependence absolutely clear and his all-sufficiency absolutely clear. Look at verse 5 again. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Not, not like a little piece of fruit, not a little bit once in a while, like I hope I see some fruit. No, those who are abiding in Christ, he says, this ongoing spiritual relationship with Jesus, he says they bear much fruit, a whole lot of fruit. Remain in fellowship with Jesus, he says, I will bear much 
fruit through you. This is his effective empowering. It is, it is part of the significance of this I am statement in this passage. At one level, to say I am the true vine is a very regular construction. It's like saying I am happy. On another level, in the mouth of Jesus, it is implying much, much more. We know that in light of the great I am statement in John chapter 8. In John chapter 8, people are challenging Jesus. He says, before Abraham was I am. Abraham lived 2,000 years before Jesus. He says, before Abraham was I am. They picked up stones to kill him. Because they caught his drift. He was looking back to Exodus 3 when Moses said to God, who had appeared to him in the burning bush, who shall I tell the Israelites is sending me? God said, I am who I am. Tell them I am sent you. In other words, here, here's the one who's sending you, Moses. The eternal self-existent one who just is. No needs, no wants, no lack, no beginning, no ending. He is. And then Jesus says in John 8, you know, that, uh, that yeah, that's, that's me. And that's his implication in John 15. I am the true vine. In other words, friends, you plug into the eternal, self-existent one in the flesh. I mean, talk about plugging in. You're plugging into, you're joined to, you're abiding in the eternal, self-existent one who became incarnate for you. That means he has total ability where you have no ability. He has all power where you have only weakness. He has all sufficiency every place you find insufficiency. And so he will bear much fruit through you and me as we abide. This should fuel our faith for fruitfulness, the Son's effective empowering. It means having no confidence in your ability, but absolute confidence in His ability, and so you abide in Him. Now let's apply this collectively as well as a church. If you ask me, Tab, are you confident? Tab, are you confident for Grace Church? My answer is yes, but not because of us. Oh, I believe in how we're building with God's word and God's gospel in real community with God's people. I believe in those things, but I have zero confidence that I can make that happen or that we can make that happen. And yet I'm absolutely confident that the risen, self-existent one will produce all the fruit he desires as we abide. Francis Schaeffer once said, the besetting sin 
of the American church is we do ministry in the flesh. The besetting sin of the American church, and that includes us, we do ministry in the flesh. It's so easy, isn't it? When you're really good at strategizing, and that's fine. Setting up programs and systems. But so often it's in our own strength. I'm guilty as charged here. Here's what we must know. The eternal self-existent one has taken on a human nature, died for our sins, risen from the grave, is ascended, and we are joined spiritually to him by the Holy Spirit. That should make you both dependent and confident. Dependent, because apart from him we can do nothing. Confident that he will bear much fruit as we abide in him. So let's get more practical. Let's put some meat on the bones of abiding. Faith building reality number three. We can expectantly pray. We can expectantly, expectantly pray. Verse seven. Look at verse seven. A wonderful verse. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now our abiding takes expression through prayer and it's quite the promise for prayer Jesus gives. Whatever you ask, boom baby, it'll be done for you. He didn't say boom baby, I insert that part. Lord, I ask you for a La Jolla beach house, it'll be done. Not exactly. The context and focus of the promise is clearly in verse 8. By this, by this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. There's the purpose. And so prove to be my disciples. So it's a promise for fruit bearing. And this promise, this promise is if we abide in Christ and, did you notice, and his words abide in us. So you might ask, why do Jesus' words need to abide in us for this promise of answered prayer? Because his words will transform what you ask for. His words align our will with his. And the Apostle John tells us, if we pray according to his will, we have what we ask of him. So if his words are abiding us, shaping our will, shaping our desires, then ask whatever you wish, it will be done. Although, he doesn't promise when. It's just future tense. It will be done at some point. So, keep asking. Whatever that situation was for you earlier that you thought of, in your finances, for you single adults, married couples, youth, kids. Wherever the pruning is hard right now, and fruit bearing seems slow, keep bringing it to him. Keep asking. According to his will, he promises to answer. This, friends, should build our faith for fruitfulness. Pray, we can pray expectantly. So if you said to me, Tab, if you were to guess then, 
what specific fruit God might want to be bearing in us as a church in these challenging times, I'd say, well, two things come to my mind. The first is the fruit of dependence through prayer. The fruit of dependence through prayer. I, I think I'm on solid ground in light of verse 7 in saying that. And we do pray. We have corporate prayer meetings here every Sunday morning at 9.15. We pray, I think, a good bit for each other in our home groups. I, I'm so grateful for that. I think we do a good job of personal prayer. Home groups, keep praying together. Pray for each other, and as you think of it, yes, pray for us as a church. Let us be dependent through prayer. Then you might say, Tab, you said two things come to your mind for the fruit God might be seeking. What's the other? And I say, well, now you're making me speculate. All right, but you forced me to it. All right, okay. Well, I think it's in how we might better go with the good news of Jesus to those around us. I'm asking that question a lot. Lord, how can we better go with the gospel? But then this passage draws me up short. And says, the answer for how the, to go begins with abide. Pray, just like Karen told us. So let us do what she reminded us and pray. Pray for outreach to your neighborhood. Pray for evangelism. As Eric reminded us, pray, pray for a, a one life. At least one person to whom God might have you reach out with the good news of his love in Jesus. Pray for at least that one person. Could be more, that's great. Pray for, pray for the Life Explored outreach course we're planning for this fall. And as Eric reminded me, pray now for that course and pray now for someone you can invite to that course this October. And maybe bring along with you. That'd be fantastic. Oh, friends, let us abide this way. We can expectantly pray, expecting him to bear fruit in us. It might be, it might be that the evangelical church is facing a state of emergency. Certainly there is a great sort happening I think, unfortunately. But did you notice each person of the Trinity explicitly or implicitly involved here? I mean, this is Trinity Sunday. Did you notice each person of the Trinity involved, at least by implication? The Father purposefully pruning for more fruit. The Son effectively empowering for much fruit, all because we're joined to Jesus who abides in us by the Holy Spirit so we can pray for much fruit. Friends, the wise, loving, powerful resources of the blessed Trinity are at work to bear fruit in you and through us. Isn't that amazing? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all involved, the triune God, all committed to bearing fruit in you and through us. So let it build our faith for bearing fruitful, being fruitful in his purposes. Let's pray. And I just want to ask you right now to bring that era you were thinking about. Bring it to him right now. 
Or maybe when I mention, hey, you, you got to be sure you're a fruit-bearing branch. Maybe bring that to him right now. And if you're thinking you might not be, cry out to him. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ who lived, died, and rose to take away your sins and bring you to himself. And he will. Let's bring our hearts to him. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thank you for this glorious faith-building passage. We want to do what Richard Phillips said and lift our faces to you right now. We ask you to have your full way according to your good purposes and bear all the fruit in our lives, individually and corporately, that would bring glory to the Father and would show that we belong to the Son. We pray for this right now. In Jesus' name, amen.